want to go to the Word of God quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we'll read a few verses there together, Ephesians chapter 1. And also, if you want to hold, uh, put a finger in John chapter 17, we'll uh, be there uh, somewhat later in the message. Now, Lord, we just pray that, as the psalmist prayed, that you would open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your law. I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten us by your Spirit. Lord, what we share today will be an encouragement, a strengthening, a blessing to all who hear. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is powerful. We thank you, Lord, that it changes lives. And Lord, as we listen today, we pray that the seed of the word of God will go deep into our hearts. And at the end of this service, that will go out of this place better than when we came in, understanding and knowing what your will is for us in Christ's name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 uh, begin reading from verse 7. Paul said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Particularly verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. In him also we have obtained an and inheritance. Now, when I was a boy growing up, uh, well, I seemed to spend endless days waiting and waiting for my daddy's boat to come in. Now, it wasn't that he was a sailor. I wasn't standing on the docks. It's just that it was an old quaint saying years ago that your daddy's boat coming in meant when your daddy's fortunes change. When things turn around, and then we will be rolling in it. We'll have lots, we'll have more than enough, and we can do anything when your daddy's boat comes in. So every time I ask my mother, maybe for, could you buy me a new bicycle, or could you get me a new pair of trainers, or take us to Port Rush for the day, the answer was always the same. Wait until your daddy's boat comes in. Well, the truth is, daddy's boat never did come in. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have much in those days, but we had plenty because we had a loving family. We had a great home, even to this day. We had loving parents, and I had a loving, two loving sisters. And so that was what we needed, and that was all that we had, and that was good enough. But let me tell you something. As far as the Christian is concerned, our daddy's boat has come in. First Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue, by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That's a lot, isn't it? We have been given so much we are actually so spiritually wealthy today. We have been loaded with God's riches. And Ephesians 1 11, in whom also we have obtained 
an inheritance. Now, not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, but we are an inheritance for Christ. Not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, but we are an inheritance for Christ. Because in verse 18 of Ephesians 1, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we have an inheritance in him, but we are his inheritance. His inheritance in the saints. And so let's look this morning at these two aspects of our inheritance. We have an inheritance in him, and we are his inheritance. We have an inheritance. Now, an inheritance is a gift. It's something that is bequeathed to you. It's not something you earned or necessarily deserved. It's given freely at the discretion of the giver. That's your inheritance, not something you can earn. Now, earthly inheritance are often contested, usually by a family member. Somebody was not happy that they didn't feel they got their fair share or that that wee gold ring that granny left, I didn't get it. You know, and, and so sometimes there's all kinds of stuff goes on. Somebody says, well, there's a will, there's a war. I remember a pastor telling me one time, he said that uh, whenever my father died and the will then was distributed, he says, my brother did not speak to me ever again to the day he died. He took umbrage. He says, I didn't make the will. It was my father's will, none to do with me. But he took umbrage against me because obviously I got more than he got. Oh, he says it was dire. And so that's sometimes what happens. But listen, our inheritance in Christ, everybody gets the same. Everybody has the same inheritance. Every single believer, you've got the same thing. In Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? So in Christ, we have all things. Every one of us has got the same. 1 Corinthians 3 and 21. For all things are yours, whether things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So we have the same rights, we have the same privileges, we have the same blessings, we have the same advantages. All of us has got the same inheritance in Christ. In Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so everything that Christ has, has been given to us. That's our inheritance in him. Joint heirs with him, would you believe? So our inheritance in Christ is the same. Paul speaks of the riches of his grace and the riches of his glory. He speaks of the exceeding riches of Christ and the unsearchable riches of Christ. We who are now possessors of the riches of his grace will be possessors of the riches of his glory. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful gospel we have today. Yeah. What has been bequeathed to us has been left for us. All of eternity will not be enough for God to distribute yes. all the riches of Christ's grace and glory Amen. towards us. A million years from now, God's grace will still be poured out upon us. 
God's glory will still be poured out upon us. A million years from now, it's always going to be. In 1 Peter 4 and 10, he talks about the manifold grace of God, the multifaceted grace of God, the many-sided grace of God. Uh, and then Paul, in chapters 3.20 of Ephesians, he talks about the manifold wisdom of God. So every single day of your life, there's grace and there's wisdom for you. It's part of your inheritance. We have it. If we need grace today, we have it. If we need wisdom today, we have it. It's part of our inheritance. That's what's bequeathed to us as God's children. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now listen, that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, as far as you can see into the infinity of eternity, there's going to be grace and there's going to be glory that belongs to you. That's your inheritance in Christ. Amen? How can an inheritance be inherited? Well, first of all, very obviously, somebody has to write a last will and testament. Now, there used to be a program a few years ago, television, called The Air Hunters, H-E-I-R, The Air Hunters. And what that meant was that if somebody dies without making a will, uh, the tax man holds that, whatever's in that estate. Uh, the government holds that for 30 years. But then they notify solicitors, people who are nicknamed the air hunters, to see if there are any beneficiaries out there. And if there are, if, they can, if the air hunters can find them, then that estate will be divvied up among them. And so they go out and they, sack, they check the electoral lists and marriage certificates and, and birth certificates and death certificates. They, they hunt all over just to see if there's somebody they could give this to. Obviously, they get a cut out of the proceedings. They're not doing this for the goodness of their heart. There's, there's a business for them. But some maybe third cousin will suddenly find themselves a knock comes to their door as a letter standing with his briefcase and saying, did you know such and such died and mentioned such and such died and, and, and because they didn't make a will, the government has instructed us to find any beneficiaries. You are a beneficiary. Did you know this person? They said, I never heard of that person. Well, that doesn't matter because you are related even though you're a third cousin and you're the only one we can find. So here is 10,000 pounds for you today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great if some old great aunt died somewhere and left you an absolute fortune and even if you didn't know her, you would get that? So somebody has to write a last will and testament. Now, the person who writes that is the testator. The testator. And the testator can change that as many times as they want. While they're living, they can change it a dozen times. In fact, five minutes before they die, they can change it. But once they die, that's it, it's said. It cannot be changed because the testator has died. That is their last will and testament. Now, in a sense, 
In a sense, God made his last will and testament before the foundation of the world. And Paul speaks about this here in Ephesians chapter 1. If I can read from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So you see, before the foundation of the world, God had a will for you. He already had that will. And he hasn't changed his will. In fact, when Jesus died, as far as the New Testament is concerned, when Jesus died, he was the testator of the will. That's it set. It cannot be changed. In fact, in Revelation says, whoever takes away from this book or adds to this book, let him be accursed. So it cannot be changed. Thank God it can't be changed. The will is set. And God has set his will for you before the foundation of the world. Before you ever came into being, God had a will for you to walk in, to live in, and to know. And so somebody has to write a last will and testament. And it only comes into force when the testator dies. In Hebrews chapter 9, The writer to the Hebrews uh, writes something here that's very prevalent to what we're saying. In verse 16 of Hebrews 9, For when there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant had to be ratified by blood. Something had to die to provide blood for that to be ratified. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. And so Christ, the testator, died, shed his blood, ratified the will that we have today. This new covenant, this new testament is the will of God for us. And it's been ratified by Christ's own precious blood. Glory to God. Now, there has to be an executor of the will. Now, you, you, may, you actually may be an executor for somebody's will. Somebody may be asked you, will you be my executor? 
In other words, when I die, it will be your responsibility to gather those around who are the beneficiaries, the family usually. And you're to tell them this is what their inheritance is. All right, now, of course, you've gone to the solicitor. It's all legally in law. But they're the executor. They're to explain it. They're to tell it. They're to show it. Now, Christ, the testator of God's will, died. But because he rose again from the dead, he is now the executor of God's will also. Now, a human being couldn't, an ordinary man couldn't do that. But Christ could because of his resurrection. But... He sent his Holy Spirit on his behalf to explain the will, to show the will, the executor of the will. You need to know what the will is. In the natural, if you were the executor, you would read it, you would know what it is, you would be able to explain to those in the family, this is what you're to get, this is what, this is what the deceased wanted, this was his will for you to get this. So the Holy Spirit comes, he knows the will of God, we have it in written form before us, but we're not so smart sometimes. We don't always know it. So the Holy Spirit, Christ sent to explain to us, to enlighten us, to show us the will of God in Christ. Have you got that? Amen. It's not too early in the morning for your brain to work that out. Sure it's not. All right, I'm glad you got that. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the one who comes. And, you know, if you're reading God's will, say, I'm saying God's will. If you read the New Testament, say, for example, and you're saying, well, I don't understand that. Well, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask him. He wants to show you what that means. He's the one to explain that to you. Because Christ sent him, Christ the executive, but he sent him to explain that. So that's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit. He's the author of scripture as well. And then someone has to lay claim to the will. The will is yours. The will is offered to you, but you've got to take it. You've got to lay claim on it. You've got to make it yours. Until you take it, there'll be no benefit to you. You've got to take it. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold of it. Grab it with both hands. It's offered to you. Take it. Grab it by faith. This is mine. This is what God has given me. This is the will of God for my life. I'm accepting it. I'm grabbing it. I'm taking it by faith. That's what you've got to do. And it's the same in an ordinary will. It could be read out to you. Somebody could say, well, that, that was the deceased will for your life to have that. But if you don't take it, there'll be no benefit or no blessing to you. You've got to take it. You've got to accept that free gift that's been given to you. So somebody has to lay hold of the inheritance. Now, not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, but we are his inheritance. Now, this is very, very important. You know, I want you to really get this. We are his inheritance. Verse 18 again. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, let me just digress just just for a moment, even though it's in keeping with everything we're saying. We believe as Christians that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That means it's God breathed. The Latin comes from Latin inspiro, God breathed. And so we believe even though men wrote it, but they just didn't write from the top of their head somewhere that they were inspired 
by the Holy Spirit to write. Uh, he inspired them, he encouraged them, he prompted them to write whatever he wanted written down for us and for our benefit in our generation. So that's the word of God. Now, the Apostle John is an old man now. He's very old. He's probably about 90 years old. And he's thinking, because the Holy Spirit is now prompting him, inspiring him to write another gospel, a fourth gospel. Uh, he, he's the longest lasting apostle. All the apostolic band are gone. Peter's long since dead. James's brother's dead. Philip, Nathaniel, they're all dead. Even the mighty apostle Paul, he too is gone. All of the martyrs for Christ and his gospel. Only John is left. In fact, this church is now into its third generation. And John's outlived all of that. So he's the only one left. And so he feels this prompting by the Spirit to write another gospel, three epistles, and the book of Revelation, which seals the canon, the whole canon of Scripture. That's it. Can't add to it. Can't be taken away from it. Now, there's already three gospels already in circulation for a long time. All of Paul's letters are in circulation. Uh, Peter's writings, Jude's, James, the writer of the Hebrews, all of that is in circulation for a long time. And, and no doubt John has read all of that, I'm sure. But in spite of all of that, there's still another gospel to be written. Now, Matthew writes his gospel primarily with the Jew in mind. Mark writes his primarily with the Roman in mind and, and Luke the Greek in mind. But John's going to write a gospel with the church in mind. And it's going to be a very different gospel than the other three. Very different. I mean, even the casual reading of it, you can see this is different. There are only seven incidents in John's gospel that are recorded in the other three. So his is very fresh, something very different. And the other three concentrate mainly on Christ's Galilean ministry, whereas John concentrates mainly on his Judean ministry, which is more at the end of Christ's life. In fact, a large chunk of John's gospel relates to the last few days of Christ's life. You know, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all of that happens in the space of 24 hours. So a large chunk of it is to do with Christ's last days on earth. So it's a very special gospel indeed. Now the other three, and I've told you this before, are called synoptic gospels. S-Y-N, O-P-T-I-C, synoptic gospel. And S-Y-N, sin means together. You know, you talk about a synthesizer, it's the blending of, 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 of musical notes together. So it's, it's to, uh, together and optic seeing seeing together. And when you read the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of similarities. Now there's differences too, but lots of similarities. And it's good to read the three together. Sometimes you have to read the three to get the full picture because yeah. not each one of them doesn't give you the whole picture. You've got to read the three, but you've got to read it together. But John's Gospel is different. It's set apart in the other three. And it's necessary for that. And so John, as you can imagine, he's an old man now, and he's looking back probably at least 60 years since he has walked with Christ 
Now, I tell you, what, John was as close to Jesus Christ as any man that ever lived on earth. He really, really was. And he was with him right from the beginning of his ministry, all the way through those three and a half years. He saw Christ's miracles. He saw him raising the dead, walking on water, all these preaching messages, all these parables, his teaching ministry. He's been through all of that. He's been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's been with him at Gethsemane. He's with him at his trial. He's with him at his crucifixion. He's with him in his resurrection. And he's with him in that day when Christ ascended up into heaven at his ascension, the Mount of all of it. He's been through all of that. And he's outlived all of that. So he's looking back now. He's about to write, write, write his gospel, the fourth gospel, and I don't believe he had a photographic memory. I don't know. I'm in my 70s now. My memory's not what it used to be. I can tell you, my wife's finishing all my sentences. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is she never gets them right. But nevertheless, <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> never gets them right. So John's looking back, and he, I'm sure he's praying and saying, Holy Spirit, help me to remember. What do you want me to write? And, I mean, it's a beautiful gospel, but I just want to turn our thoughts towards John chapter 17. Christ's great prayer for the church. What an amazing prayer. What a wonderful prayer. Yeah. You ought to read it many, many times. Become very familiar with it. I mean, you could preach a hundred sermons from that chapter alone. It's just so full of, of things that are good. So... Let's have a little look at John chapter 17, Christ's great prayer for the church. Now, there's one or two things I want to just draw out of this. I mean, there's tons of stuff, but just one or two things. And one of the main things is this, that seven times in this one prayer, seven times. So this is something that was really on Christ's heart. This is just a few hours before he goes to the cross. So but this is his last major prayer before he goes to the cross. So what's in his heart? What is in his heart? So that's when you've got to read this. And, it, and it's for the church. Now, obviously, in, in context, he's, he's with his disciples and they're hearing this. But because we come from that line of those disciples, we're saved here today because of what they did in the world. It's for us too. It's, it's his prayer for the church, for us today. And in seven times, here's what he said. Seven times he declares that God has given us to him. That God has given us as a gift to him. Seven times he says that. So that was very, very important. Look, friends, in verse 2 of John 17. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And then down to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, but you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And then verse 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Then verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me I have kept. And then all the way down to verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whomever you gave me Sorry, I desire also that they whom you give me 
may be with me where I am. So seven times in one prayer, he's acknowledging and actually thanking the Father that he had given us to him. We are his inheritance. Now, can you imagine if you were related, to, say, to one of the world's richest men, maybe Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, is the world's richest man, or the Sultan of Brunei, or Bill Gates, or the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. These are fabulously wealthy men. Now, say you're related to them, and it came their birthday, and you had to buy them a gift. I mean, that wouldn't be easy, would it? I mean, what do you buy the man who's got everything? Would you get him, I don't know, would you, would you get him a yacht? Well, he's got one of those already. Would you get him an airplane? He's probably two or three of those. Would you buy him an island in the Caribbean? He's probably already got one of those too. I mean, you see, you'd be, you'd, you'd, you'd be difficult, wouldn't you, even if you had the money? But what does God Almighty give to his son as a gift, as an inheritance? What does he bequeath him? You and me. Isn't that amazing? He could have given him another universe. But he didn't want that. He wanted us. He came to bleed and die on a cross for us, for you and for me. And because he did that, the father says, son, I'm going to give you as your inheritance, Psalm 2, the heathen for an inheritance. I'm going to give you them as your inheritance. So you today, you listening, you watching today, you believer, you are Christ's inheritance. You belong to him. The Father has given you to him. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Actually, six times very clearly, uh, and even one time implied, he makes it clear that he was sent by the Father for us. The Father sent him to us. In other words, what he's saying is, the Father gave me to you. I I'm the Father's gift to you. I'm the gift of life for you. Uh, and the one time that's implied is in verse 8. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so seven times he's saying <laughs> that you are my inheritance, and seven times he's saying that I am your inheritance. God sent me to you as a gift to you so that you might have eternal life. Isn't it wonderful? You know, this is why the gospel is so good, isn't it? There is no other religion in the world comes even close to what we have in Christ Jesus. None. And this will last for all eternity. Glory to God. Now, in order for us to be his inheritance, we have to die. Not talking about dying physically here. We have to die to self. We have to die to sin. We have to die to that old way of life. For his inheritance, but we have to die to sin and self to be his inheritance. If we don't, we're eternally lost. We're eternally lost. But once we receive him as our savior and repent of our sins and die to ourselves and die to our sins, then we will fully experience what it's like to be his inheritance in the saints. Amen?
Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have died to self and died to sin, Paul says. I belong to him. And that's us today. We belong to him completely and solely to no other. We are his inheritance. Let me just close with this. First Samuel 2 verse 8. Uh, Hannah had been praying for many, many years to have a son. And uh, she was exasperated. You remember that prayer in the temple where, she, where Eli the priest thought she was drunk? And he rebuked her and she says, no, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, my heart is broken. I've been praying for a son. And then he says, go your way. God will grant you that request. Nine months later, she had a son, little Samuel, that she gave back to the Lord to serve him all the days of his life. And what a, what a prophet he became of the Lord. And not one word fell to the ground through Samuel. But here's what she said. She, whenever she had her son, she so rejoiced. Listen to it, is what she said. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the beggar from the ash heap. To set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. <laughs> we'll read that again. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. <laughs> Listen, we were lost, hopeless sinners, dead in trespasses and sin. Christ came, the light of the glorious gospel shone on our hearts and we became born again of God's spirit. Glory to God. We're saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Names are in the book of life. Glory to God. He's made us to sit with princes. He's made us to see the throne of the glory of God. He's lifted us from the ash heap and he's set us in wonderful places. Amen. You today are God's inheritance, believer. Those of you who are watching, if you're saved today, you are God's inheritance. You belong to him. He paid the greatest price that could be paid to save your eternal soul. So understand today, if you're a believer, Christ has you. You're his inheritance. And it's going to take all of eternity for God to show you all the riches of his grace and the riches of his glory that you have through Christ Jesus, oh, your Lord and God. Savior. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good today? Yes. Glory to God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of life that you gave to us. We thank you for the riches of your glory and the riches of your grace. Lord, we are wealthy today because of what Christ has done for us. And we rejoice in all of your goodness and all of your blessings and all of your benefits today. Where would we be today without Christ as our Savior? So, Lord, we bless you today. We give you thanks for everything you've done for us, for all that you have given to us, for all that's ahead of us. For all of eternity, you'll be pouring out your grace and your glory upon us. Lord, what a blessing this life is that we have in Christ Jesus. So Lord, part us with that blessing today as we go into our various workplaces today. Whatever we're doing today, whatever is on your agenda for us this week, we welcome it and we thank you for it in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we hope to see you next week. And we hope that you uh, log on next week also and join us 
here as we worship the Lord together. Amen. God bless you.